When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As you know by now, we are completely obsessed with how diverse aquatic systems, uh, ecosystems arose, how they function, how they sustain themselves, and how we can interpret this for application to our aquarium work. It's a lot more interesting when you examine the subject more closely, especially from the perspective of how these aquatic habitats came to be and what the implications they have are for fish populations. It's cool stuff. And so much of what makes these ecosystems operate so successfully starts with the bottom. What I mean by that is the bottom, the substrate, the bottom of where the water is. Stream and river bottom composition is affected by lots of stuff like regional weather, current, geology, the surrounding dry lands, and many other factors, all of which could make planning your next aquarium even more interesting if you take the time to consider them. We've touched on these in some recent posts and posts over the years, and we'll definitely dive deeper in upcoming blogs, I'm sure. There's more to this tank than just the accumulations of leaves and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting stuff. If we focus on shallow tributaries of streams and flooded forest floors, which happen to be one of my personal areas of interest, it's important to note that the volume of water entering the stream helps in part determine the amount and size of sediment particles, leaves, seed pods and the like, all that stuff that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate and its contours. The mixing of materials not only looks interesting, it's a reflection of the diversity and the vibrancy of the underwater environment. One of the things you notice in many of the images that you see on our site and elsewhere of natural underwater substrates in particular is that they're usually anything but squeaky clean, ultra white, you know, sand. Rather, they're often sediment-filled, covered with stringy fungal growths, biofilms, and even a spot or two of algae. There's a fair amount of decomposing leaves and detritus accumulating in and on the substrate materials. And as you know, detritus is not the enemy that we've made it out to be. We've talked about that many times before. Rather, it's a source of food for many aquatic animals, helping to literally power the ecosystem in which it's present. There's something we can add. There's something we can and should do when we replicate these systems in our aquariums. We should not be afraid of sediments and even detritus accumulating on top of leaves and botanicals. It's exactly what you see in nature and our fishes are ecologically adapted to such habitats. In nature, the composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, affecting the composition and ecology in many ways. Now, some of these changes are actually the result of the fishes working them. In the words of uh, our friend Mike Tucanardi, one of the things that's most striking when you spend time below the water surface in this sort of environment is that the fish aren't just passive inhabitants. They're actively involved with their habitat, interacting in a very particular way. Epistogramma species aren't just hanging out. They're fighting turf wars among piles of dense leaf litter, even making their own piles by moving leaves and other bits of detritus to the center of their territories. Suckermouth catfish, whether Farloella or Ancestris, are actively exploring recently submerged branches and roots looking for a rich path of biofilm or algae to feast on. Earth eaters and many other species of cichlids, even severums, angelfish, and discus are patrolling the bottom, 
taking big mouthfuls of sand and organic material to sift out any tasty morsels. It's a big organic mess, literally made up of various botanicals, and these fish are having a field day in it. So yeah, these dynamic habitats are not difficult to you know, replicate in the aquarium. We simply need to understand that they play a functional and aesthetic role in the overall aquarium, as we've touched on many times here. Realizing that placing leaves and botanical materials on the bottom of the aquarium is not simply making an aesthetic statement. Rather, it's an homage to the function of the dynamic habitat that we love so much. Feeding dynamics, as Mike outlined in his little passage above, uh, they play a huge role in the interactions which fishes have with the bottom. As we've talked about many times before, aquatic invertebrates and crustaceans are one of the primary foods consumed by many fishes which reside in streams, and the amounts and types are dictated by the environment of the stream, which includes factors like the surrounding topography, the current, the elevation, the surrounding plant growth, etc. Many fishes, like headstanders and carisons and others, simply consume tiny crustaceans as part of their sediment feeding activity. Now that we're more likely to set up aquariums with fine, silty sediments stocked with tons of little copepods and worms and such, these experiments might yield some really interesting results. It's absolutely possible to create a real active substrate filled with these creatures and to be able to pre-stock it with cultures of small life forms prior to the introduction of fish. And of course, there's always ways to replenish the aquarium population of these creatures, and even in the substrate itself, periodically, resulting in extremely productive systems as well. An interesting experiment to think about, huh? Even more interesting to actually execute. Could such a system with heavily substrate-centric focus be managed long-term? Oh, for sure. A well-managed substrate in which uneaten food and fish feces aren't allowed to accumulate to excess and which regular nutrient export processes are embraced is not even an issue, in my opinion. When other good practices of aquarium husbandry, like not overcrowding, not overfeeding, etc., are employed, a botanically enriched substrate can enhance, not inhibit, the nutrient processing, uh, the nutrient processing uh, system within your aquarium, and it can really maintain the water quality for extended periods of time. Like many of you, I've been a firm believer in some form of nutrient export employed in every single tank I maintain. Typically, it's just regular water changes, not when I think about it, or periodically, mind you, it's weekly. Now, I'm not saying that you can essentially disobey all the common sense husbandry practices that we've come to know and love in the hobby, like not overcrowding and stuff, and just change the water weekly and you're all good. And I'm not suggesting the only way to succeed with adding botanical materials to the substrate is to employ this massive effort at nutrient export. The system, you know, otherwise is teetering on a knife's edge with disaster on either side and success on the other. Uh, no, no, no. Our aquariums are far more resilient than that, if we set them up to be. And that means configuring them to be successful, diverse, biologically rich ecosystems at all levels. There's a lot of science to sift through about natural river, stream, pond, substrates, and how they function in the wild. And much of this can be applied to what we do in our closed aquariums. Of course, an aquarium is not a stream, a river, etc. However, the same processes and rules imposed by nature that govern the function of these wild ecosystems apply to our little glass and acrylic boxes. It's a matter of nuance and attempting to understand how they work. My goal is to keep us in the mindset of thinking that our aquariums are little microcosms, not just aquatic dioramas. This is what I'll continue to, move, you know, to work with, and I think this is what's going to continue to move the aquarium hobby forward. And of course, the whole idea of rich sediment and sand and soil substrates and, you know, enriched with botanical materials is completely in line with the best practices that we've developed as a community to create dynamic botanical-style aquariums. In our case, not only will there be an abundance of trace elements and essential, you know, plant nutrients in such a substrate, 
There'll be the addition of tannins and humic substances, which as we know, provide many known benefits for fishes as well. It's the best of both worlds, I think. It's time to really dig deep into the art and science of creating an entire ecosystem in the confines of our aquariums. I can't think of anything more exciting than that. Stay excited, stay inspired, stay resourceful, stay educated, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.